Hello, and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, Elsia123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. And today we are talking about one of the worst named episodes <laughs> in all of PLL. Uh, it's probably, I would say it's the worst episode that doesn't dead name anyone. Uh, it's Hot Piece of A. <laughs> Yeah, this is a this is this is not one of their better one of their better titles. You know, there's some episodes that have like um like cool song lyrics as the titles. There's some episodes where it's like very distinctly you know what the episode is about based on the title. This is just a bad a bad confusing title all around. And dear god, this episode, it is shocking that it wasn't like a half season or a season cliffhanger given how much happens here. Emily has glass in her hair and is volunteering for an extremely lax crisis hotline. Aria is grounded and the Montgomery parents may just win worst parents of the series after all. Uh, all Hannah wants to do is throw Caleb a dang surprise party, but she winds up knocking Lucas into the watery deep. And over the course of the show, Ms. Marin defends herself with hairspray against Caleb and ore against Lucas and a tire iron against Holbrook. Uh, so the real moral of this episode is do not mess with Hannah Marin. Oh, man, I feel like this episode is um, weird. Like, this is a weird episode. There's just, there is a lot going on. It feels like a lot of this episode was just reverse engineered to get everybody to the lake house. And so we very quickly get to the reason why we have to be at the lake house. Um, it also feels like we're suddenly ramping Lucas up as creepy uh, very quickly. This actually, uh, th this structure, this episode structurally reminds me a little bit of, um, single fright female from season three in terms of that's the episode where suddenly in the span of one episode the liars have decided that Paige is evil and there's a lot of like kind of weird mechanics to get us to that place I feel like um this episode ha has some has some notes of that yeah I would agree well in this episode um I'm you know we're like a spoilery podcast so uh everybody knows that there's going to be water drama at the end of this episode uh, as there is like almost guaranteed whenever you have a lake house type setting. Um, but we have this episode where Hannah uh, goes overboard and Lucas is knocked into the water in single fright female. Jenna is almost drowned in the lake. Uh, Paige oh. holds Emily. Is that, is that the episode where Jenna almost drowns? No, actually that, cause that's the other episode that this is like that single fright female is the episode where Spencer decides that Paige is evil oh. and season three. Um, is that the episode where she knocks the trash cans? That's the episode. Okay. No, that's the episode after she knocks the trash cans. <laughs> this, that's the episode where we have the whole flashback where we learn about Paige and Alice's oh. backstory. Okay. Um, but also this is completely like that episode in season four, I think where we're at a lake house for another surprise party and Jenna almost drowns. So, all right. But so Jenna almost drowns uh, in that episode. Lucas and Hannah almost drown here. Uh, Emily almost drowns in the pool when Paige holds her underwater. Spencer almost drowns or burns to death in the shower when the shower attacks her. Um, <laughs> so we've got like quite a few water attacks. Uh, but we also, it, it, what is the more dangerous element in PLL? Is it water 
or is it fire? Uh, because there's Thornhill Lodge, there's the De Laurentiis house catching on fire when Jenna is inside. Uh, there's the fire they set in the dollhouse uh, to try to get A to set them free. Uh, and I, I'm going to count the kiln that Caleb gets trapped inside as also a fire element. Uh, so what's more dangerous, fire or water around the wires? There's also A blowing up the Kavanaugh house in Miss Me Times 100. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with fire because it's it's cons- more consistent, I think, and, and impacts more people ultimately. Um, but... Uh, yeah, because nobody nobody actually dies of fire or water. True. They just get injured and or traumatized. Okay. But I think I'm going to go with fire. What about you? Um, Gosh, uh, I think you're probably right uh, based on the number of people that the fire impacts. I think that later on uh, in another episode, maybe we can talk about fire versus animal attacks uh, because that is another thing. Uh, that is often used against them. So, but since there's a water, uh, a water element here, I just thought we should get that out of the way first. What What is more dangerous yeah. for you if you are a liar, water or fire? Yes, yes. Some say the world will end in fire. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that. I think from what Vandermeeren has tasted of desire, she holds with those who favor fire. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. I think fire probably. I I think for me personally, I've always had kind of a fear of drowning. And so like me personally, drowning or water, but um, in the world of the liars, probably fire. Mm, mm. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, let's, let's just go ahead and we're going to dive in. Uh, we open in the greenhouse as the liars debate what to do with A's phone. And Emily asks why none of them were there in time to prevent her from getting almost murdered. Uh, Considering she was in mortal danger, their excuses do sound pretty flimsy. Uh, Hannah dramatically announces that Kate is moving to Rosewood and she will have two monsters to deal with now. So she wins for having the worst day award. Uh, Emily counters that these aren't highlights, Hannah. She has glass in her hair. After the fake fighting of the last episode, a real argument breaks out in earnest here. Uh, as Spencer demands they get Caleb to help hack the phone, Hannah refuses on the very reasonable grounds uh, that the phone could be connected to Jenna and Officer Garrett, and Caleb already has a bad history with the police. She suggests they find someone else, someone overseas, for example. I might suggest they just keep it and see if they can catch A trying to steal it back, but to each their own. Uh, But Spencer is not listening to Hannah's no, and Hannah tells her to stop giving them orders. They are not her winged monkeys. The phone rings, and no one wants to answer it. Emily says she can't due to glass in her hair, a predicament she clearly feels the liars should be taking more seriously than they are. As the phone ceases ringing, more glass rains down on them from above, and they run out with Emily announcing she'll call Caleb if Hannah won't. We see Spencer's SUV squealing out of the parking lot, And I guess that all the other liars who drove themselves to this meetup are either not driving as fast or have all decided to leave their cars here until the morning. Yes. Oh, man. I love when the liars get to argue and 
and their arguments actually make sense. Like, I feel like sometimes they'll argue just for dramatic tension, but here it actually makes a lot of sense. Like that Spencer is like, look, we know this person who can help us. We need to use every resource available to us. And Hannah is like, no, I don't want to have Kayla be involved. Like that actually legitimately makes sense. That would be a conflict. And I think it's really interesting foreshadowing of all the times that Spencer will involve Caleb in the mystery later in the series. Um, I also just want to clock that this episode starts with more him, her, it talk. Uh, and A is referred to both as it and as an animal. Really great liars. That's super, super awesome for us moving forward. Um, and uh, yeah, Arya again, like plays the role of peacemaker, which I feel like she always does. And I also think is interesting considering the household she grew up in. Um, I really love the image of tiny Arya inspecting statuesque Emily's hair for glass. Um, and Hannah has an interesting line where she says, Spencer, stop giving us orders. We are not your winged monkeys which uh, I always find interesting when the liars kind of push back against Spencer's leadership a little bit. Oh, I definitely agree. Uh, and I think that this is, this is my favorite kind of liar argument because they're both right and they're both wrong. Like there's not, uh, there, there's not one person who is incorrect here. Uh, both of their arguments are really solid and the conflict arises from Spencer being completely unwilling to consider a point of view other than her own. Right. Right, absolutely. And, she, and her being so certain that she knows best. Yeah. So later at, our, our, I think we're at the Marin house. Are we at the Marin house or the Hastings house? I think based on the window blinds that it might be the Hastings house. Okay. We're at one of the houses. Um, and we this is like a big moment. Caleb is looking at the phone with the liars. He is trying to figure out what's going on with this phone on his laptop. Uh, we learned that lots of data is loaded on the phone. And I, I think maybe we could talk a little bit about Caleb's involvement here. I like that he brings something concrete, which is his hacking abilities. And I always like him helping the liars more than Toby or Ezra, whose contribution later in the series, if we'll remember, is his piles and piles of stalker research on the liars. Um, but it also kind of feels like the ominous beginning of the boys being way too involved seeing Caleb here with the liars. What are your thoughts? Um, I feel like this scene perfectly encapsulates the way that like the guys are always like, tell me, tell me the truth about what is going on for I wish to help you. And then the liars are like, you can help me by doing this one specific thing. And then the boys are like, they don't do that specific thing. Like the thing that they want him to do is like hack this phone. Don't ask any questions. And he's like, I'll sort of hack this phone, but then I will demand 100 explanations from you. Um, so I feel like the price of the boy's involvement is like never really worth it for me. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it just, takes over as the show goes on and on and on culminating in I think the most egregious example of this which is uh Toby being the one to figure out real Spencer from Twincer in the final episode of the series but also another another standout terrible example is Allie involving all the boys in her plan to free the liars from the dollhouse in, uh, yeah, I would have actually, um, I, I would have tapped uh, the boys uh, in, in How the Ace Stole Christmas when the boys are all also involved in tracking people at the Yule Ball, uh, which, which goes very poorly as well. Yes. Uh, 
also caleb in this scene is rude to emily he asks uh why emily smells like a bag of mulch if someone could explain that to him to which i say caleb do not be so rude to someone who has recently had glass in her hair oh have you not heard about the glass caleb because emily will tell you about it um also it should be noted that hannah is sitting away from this group not looking at the screen and is clearly um made uncomfortable by this whole thing which i feel like is an issue that is really present for the first half of this episode and then gets completely overshadowed by the need to throw caleb a surprise party which kind of comes out of nowhere well I think that there are a lot of things going on here. I think that Hannah's uh, Hannah, it's it's not just that she worries about Caleb being involved because his safety could be at risk and because he's already had trouble with the law. I think that another element of this is that Hannah and Caleb's relationship so far has been something uh, that's it, it's pretty private. It's pretty specific to them. He hasn't really done a lot of hanging out with her friends prior to this and so i think that when she wants to throw the surprise party she's also trying to take control of caleb being more involved with the other people in her life uh which she does not have control over Mm -hmm. right now while spencer is dictating the terms of him helping them with his phone Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's probably true i also think that there could be kind of this weird element too i mean hannah as the liar historically in Allie's group that was always, I think probably the most concerned about being displaced. There's this way in which like Caleb is becoming the fourth girl here. Like, you know I mean? And he can bring something really concrete. He can bring his hacking skills, which is like a very useful skill. And I do wonder if there's a little bit of this weird element of Hannah being like feeling a little displaced. Or sensing a possible chemistry between Caleb and Spencer and or feeling weird because she has Caleb feelings and Spencer feelings. And now this is there, there's a lot going on for Hannah in this episode, for sure. There's, there's a lot going on for Hannah and you better be careful because you're about to open a can of worms. If you start talking about Hannah having Spencer and Caleb feelings. To me. <laughs> um, I, I already found a way to, to bring Spana into this episode. We'll get into it later. Um, but at the Montgomery's in the Oh, no, did we talk oh, about how sorry. Caleb, he Go was ahead. transferring the data, but someone shuts down the phone? Oh, right, right, right. We didn't, sorry, sorry, <laughs> skipped over that. Yes, um, yeah, a, <laughs> a shuts down the phone in the middle of the, in the middle of the transfer, and Spencer is very upset, feeling like they got nothing. Caleb kind of points out that they didn't really ever have anything to begin with, um, and he agrees that he will still continue to work on this though Hannah seems rather yes. reluctant. Um, Aria is leaving for school the next day. Is, is it okay if, if I get to talk about this? Uh, okay. Um, you go for she's it. She's getting for ready it. to leave for school when Byron arrives to put the patriarch in patriarchy, declaring that she cannot go to school dressed like that in what he sees as her too provocative and inappropriate clothes. Uh, for the record, her look is fairly conservative here. It's knee-high boots with knee socks that go above the knee, uh, a black sleeveless dress over a frilly burgundy camisole. Uh, Aria scoffs, since when has she had a dress code? And then Byron says, since we found out who you might be dressing for, sir. 
Aria consistently dresses as if she's trying to land a job with the Victorian-era Parisian circus run by zebras with an earring fetish. Also, that is a fine, sturdy barn you're building for your long-gone horses. And policing your daughter's outfits puts the blame for this situation on her It makes you her enemy as opposed to someone she can confide in about her feelings. Plus, the authoritarian dad deciding she looks too hot for adult men to behold is gross. But Byron has spoken to Joe Biden, and he understands that menfolk have to protect the sexy little ladies in their care. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, this whole thing Ugh. this whole thing this whole thing um yeah this outfit is pretty tame by aria standards i mean she is wearing a giant spider <laughs> oh necklace, god i but, forgot about you know, the, necklace. the necklace yeah it looks like it looks like it's a giant spider that could maybe like resurrect a mummy <laughs> yes yeah yeah um and yes it's very lifelike um Ella intervenes in this situation, uh, sort of uh, shooing Aria back into her room and closing the door, saying, today is not the day to question your father. Aria points out the hypocrisy of Byron criticizing her relationship with her teacher, uh, then immediately apologizes when Ella gives her a stern look. Uh, Aria thought that Ella would be on her side. Ella is upset that they were lied to. Why does Arya seem to be the only one willing to talk about this situation? Ella and Byron should want to talk about this. Ella announces that not only are Arya and Ezra cut off, but Arya is apparently cut off from her friends. Although that we don't really see that in this episode. Um, Arya asks if Ella liked Ezra and Ella says that she did. This whole thing is just... It's just a mess. Um, Ella buying into the policing of the outfits. Uh, it's it's such a basic misunderstanding of both gender and power dynamics. Uh, it's like saying if Arya wore a baggy sweatshirt and khaki pants every day, she would never have been preyed upon, which really, uh, it's a hair's breadth away from the old what was she wearing rape justification. Um, I do like when Arya says what she's supposed to do, wear a down parka. Uh, and I, I also like when Ella is going through her closet, she is pulling out clothes that like, it just doesn't look like anything Aria would wear. It's probably like been in there for about five years. Uh, you can kind of tell they're like on the verge of making her wear like Mike's athletic gear and sending her out into the world wearing shin guards and shoulder pads. Yeah. Well, and you also are seeing how there's such a breakdown between, like, the Montgomerys are so not a united front on this. Like, it's so obvious. And it's obvious to Arya, which is, like, so, I mean, obviously, they're they're human beings, and they can have different opinions on this situation or how they want to handle it. But they need to be a united front with Arya here. And this whole kind of, like, cloak and dagger, like, don't mess with your father. I'll take care of this, Byron, like shuffling Arya off to her room like don't criticize your dad it's so similar to the way that Ella dealt with the whole Mike might have broken her wrist in the last you know a few episodes back where it's like don't tell Papa like he might get mad yeah 
and Mike knows what his face looks like when he's about to hit something. Just, you know, keeping, keeping that around here. Um, but this is also another instance yeah. of uh, how the Montgomery's were sure that like Mike's uh, depression could be cured by having him spend more time with their family and him going down for dinner. Uh, apparently family time solves everything from mental health crises to illegal illicit to, you know, student teacher relationships uh, because their solution for this is that Aria is just going to spend way more time with Ella and Byron. Right. And it's like, if that, if that meant, oh, we're going to um, explore family counseling or we're going to, um, you know, do some activities that might, I don't know, help us know or trust each other more, or we're going to like change anything about the household dynamic to figure out why our communication and boundaries are so broken with one another, that would be great. But basically, Ella is proposing like, you have to have awkward dinners with your father and I as a punishment for getting too slutty. With your I mean, teacher. I, t- if I had to have dinners with Ella and Byron on a regular basis for the record. <laughs> oh, same. Absolute same. Oh man. So Toby is moping at his truck as he will be doing for like the end of time. It seems just lingering outside Hastings Manor waiting for Spencer, who approaches. She wants to talk. Toby makes that face he makes at her. Um, Spencer is close to giving Toby answers, but says that it still isn't safe as they they go inside his truck. Um, I feel like, you know, she's talking about how much she misses him, how she wants out. It's so hard to stay away from him, all of that. But I feel like she still seems pretty vaguely dispassionate here. Um, Maybe I'm just seeing what I want to see. But they tip backwards to make out in his car um toby kind of smirks at her that she just can't stay away from his irresistible werewolf face. <sighs> um when she goes out to meet him he is randomly securing a bunch of odds and ends of lumber underneath a tarp which his construction work is so nebulous and nonsensical it would be not at all hard to sell me on a version of him building the dollhouse at a's behest up in bucks county <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it is it is interesting to think about toby like what if toby was legit on the a-team at this point like that's a much more interesting read of his character than just this like mopey patronizing asshole that we've gotten oh i love the idea of toby being on the a-team and that that's why he prevented spencer from being on time in the last episode that would be really great uh also he was like yeah in the last episode he was like i want answers i need answers must have answers and note that spencer still has not given him any answers uh so this really proves that he was not so much hungry for answers as horny for action as they make out on the bench seat yes yes although we'll see in a minute it's uh it's gonna get interrupted (laughs) which is pretty funny to me that like I feel like at this point, Toby and Spencer are basically in a thruple with the remaining members of the <laughs> NAT club. Like, I think I think you're not wrong because they're constantly like they're constantly getting busy in his truck, like right in front of the De Laurentiis house where like all of those people were based. So they're constantly getting interrupted, like getting distracted by Jason's mm-hmm. abs, like in the neck in the nearby window, like getting distracted by Garrett and Jenna, like ian has featured heavily in lots of conversations like i feel like it's an element of their their sexual relationship is is 
any you can kind of like just take your pick of any member of the nat club um They'll, they'll find a way mm, to make it work. Mm. Uh, Caleb is on a bench near the courtyard. Hannah kisses him hello and then gets worried because he's working on the A-Files in plain sight. He wants to be inducted into the secret society of knowing things about this phone because he's starting to feel like Hannah doesn't trust him. Valid. Uh, he says they've gotten naked together in more ways than one, but something about this phone is turning Hannah into a stranger. Hannah dodges this inquiry by calling out to an extremely uncomfortable looking Lucas. She asks if they're still on for after school as he's helping her study for a test. And he is not into it at all, possibly because he has glass in his hair or because he's A's minion or because he did hide behind the curtain to watch Caleb have sex in the last episode. <laughs> and now everything is awkward. He reluctantly agrees to give Hannah an hour. Uh, why can't Spencer or Emily be the ones to tutor Hannah? Why does it have to be? Great like this? question. <laughs> yes. So speaking of Spencer, we go back to the to the to the street where Garrett pulls up in his car, yelling to Jenna on the phone. We know that he's yelling to Jenna because he's going to say her name about eighteen times during this call as he furiously bangs on the door. He is getting super super upset. Um, Toby and Spencer pop up from the seat. Their making out is over because there is something to focus on and maybe they'll resume after and, you know, use it to fuel things. Who knows? There is trouble in Jarrett paradise, though, because Garrett is talking about bringing bringing him. What is he bringing him somebody else and it being Jenna's idea, bringing in somebody else and it being Jenna's idea and um, like how that messed everything up and everything's changed. Uh, Toby Toby uh, gives Garrett again that face that he makes as uh, Spencer pops her head down. But what what is this really all about? I don't think that we ever really know, but I'm calling it that Jenna has set up the first successful thruple in Rosewood history (laughs) and that Garrett is now extremely jealous of Noel Kahn. Oh, we're going with I, that's that's what I Noel? that's what I'm going with. Um, Toby though thinks it's about her being nervous about her eye surgery. I mean, we're obviously supposed to think that Jenna had hired someone who was the person at the greenhouse. Blah blah blah. Uh, right. But I actually think that what is happening here is that Jenna has gotten what she needed from Garrett and now no longer wishes to be involved with him. Uh, so I think that Jenna is just like her focus has now slid off whether it is to um gosh i don't even remember who the next paramour is jenna has i mean there's there's noel although he's with mona at this time uh there's shauna although i don't think she exists yet uh and then there's uh there's cousin nate who who knows uh i just think the thing is that jenna uh has gotten what she wants from garrett and so now she is pushing him away okay an amazing thruple that we have somehow never considered Noel, Jenna, Mona. Oh man, I I like that a lot. I like that just as much as uh, Noel, Jenna, Allison. Oh, or Noel, Mona, mm-hmm. Allison, or Jenna, Mona, Allison. Any combination of those characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? Jenna could be Jenna could be doing anything. Jenna could be going off in the limo with Maya. We don't know. True. Very oh. true. 
goodness. Um, also, the the angle uh, in this, I, I guess there's like this part, and then there's a later part of uh, like a continuation of the scene when Garrett's talking to Toby. But like for some reason, the camera angles here make the Kavanaugh house seem like it is like on the second floor or up in some trees. I don't know what <laughs> is happening. I don't know if they're just trying to show that like Spencer and Toby are like really low down in the Kavanaugh's truck or or what. <laughs> But there is some some weird camera stuff happening. Ella's classroom. Emily is taking a makeup test, but admits to Ella that she didn't finish the reading. She does not say because she had glass in her hair, but no one can be expected to read under such conditions uh, and asks if she can take the test again on Monday. It is already a makeup test, but Ella has lots of sympathy for Emily and eventually agrees, even though Emily cannot uh, do her first suggestion of doing the following day for the makeup of the makeup because of a community service commitment. Uh, she is going to be answering calls on a crisis hotline. Ella agrees to Monday, even though Emily has now seen the entire test, but whatever. Uh, then Ella very overstepping uh, asks what else she doesn't know about her daughter and emily says well uh, a lot of fans think that there's romantic chemistry between her and spencer so maybe lean into that <laughs> just kidding <laughs> emily says she doesn't know what ella means ella apologizes for asking and then emily says aria is the same person she's always been someone ella can be proud of then she leaves and I shake my fists at the heavens and wish these writers to have small rocks in their shoes every day during Pride Month for the rest of their lives <laughs> as punishment for trying to make a false equivalency between Emily coming out as gay and Ezria deciding their manipulative mess of power and age imbalances are equivalent to the whole world. Oh, man. Yes, I uh, literally have the words false equivalency in my notes as well. Um, it is, yeah, I super resent that line coming from Emily. Um, I also think it's funny, like, Emily will take multiple makeup tests in Ella's classroom specifically. This will be a plot point in, I think, season three. Um, it's funny how many little recycled plot threads there are. All the liars, uh, Hannah is studying for a test in this episode. There is lots of academic stuff going on for the liars. Like, school exists in this episode in a way that it does not always. True. Very true. Um, in the courtyard, Arya leaves Prezra a message from Hannah's phone because she thinks that her dad is going to start checking her call logs. Uh, Arya is still convinced that her parents will come around. Oh, Arya. My goodness. Also, as she hands the phone back, we see that her parental approved outfit is essentially a giant two-tone peach caftan. It looks like something Ella would wear, honestly. <laughs> um, Emily is by her locker when Spencer, in mission mode, barrels towards her. Hey, how was the makeup test? Does she want to go snoop around Jason's house? Uh, Spencer has determined that if Garrett and Jenna have a helper, must be him. Emily cannot, and she has community service. Uh, Aria can't do it because of being under house arrest. Uh, Hannah spent all of chem class, apparently, drawing pictures of Spencer with a pointy hat and a wart on her nose. Uh, Emily suggests Spencer bribe Hannah by offering the use of her lake house. Spencer is like, what? 
Uh, Emily adds that Hannah and Caleb need some time together and that they already made some memories on the couch. Then realizing she just let a secret slip, Emily bounces, leaving Spencer to sadly declare, that was my Nana's couch. It's hard to be Spencer Hastings these days and every day as the show goes on. Oh, man. I really like this scene because I feel like it's... um it's like almost like a screwball comedy kind of moment that we don't usually get from the show. Um, also, like Spencer is upset about this. She's going to be thinking about Caleb having sex in their disguises on her Nana's couch the next time she has to make out with Toby. Mark my words. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, again, like everybody is very concerned about Caleb's sex life at this point in the series. Indeed. Indeed. Um, speaking of somebody who is concerned about Caleb's sex life, Lucas and Hannah. Um, Hannah is basically focused on her work solo while Lucas is doing uh, this kind of zoning out that is seems absolutely designed for Hannah to ask him what's wrong. Um, Hannah goes on and on about how she doesn't need how, about how she needs Lucas, and Hannah, you do not need Lucas. Stop selling yourself short. Um, as they continue to try to work on the studying. Um, Hannah gets a text from Spencer about the lake house. Uh, this is funny because like Hannah is, Hannah talks about how she's going to hold out on texting Spencer back because the longer that she waits, the more fun things Spencer will throw in. But Lucas seems very excited that Hannah doesn't seem excited at the prospect of going to the lake house with Caleb. Uh, eventually Hannah like talks herself through to the point where she's like, we should have a surprise party for Caleb at the lake house. And for some reason, Lucas is going to, like, co-chair this party with Hannah. Um, she says, I feel really sad for Caleb, by the way, that Lucas is what qualifies as his best friend, which is what Hannah refers to him as. Uh, Hannah pushes very hard on this party suddenly um, in a way that feels very, like, plot contrivancy. Lucas is concerned about the funds, which we will later know why. Hannah has this line where she says that Caleb's probably never even had a birthday party before, which, okay. Um, and eventually Lucas agrees that they're going to basically co-host Caleb's surprise birthday party at Spencer's Lake House. This scene is really weirdly written, I think. It's like, we're really seeing the gears turning here. Yeah. Um, also, if we didn't already know that the show has problems with race, Hannah's test that she's studying for is apparently on the Confederate States. Um <laughs> Just a, a note there, uh, which, you know, they're studying in Pennsylvania. Um, also, uh, I feel like uh, it's, it's weird the way that Hannah is doing this. The fact that Caleb's never had a birthday party before, I think she is tying into his uh, growing up in foster care and in situations that maybe weren't always the best for him. But also Caleb is like, uh, you know he is an independent actor. If he wanted to do something for his birthday, he is perfectly capable of making plans. Uh, so the idea that she and Lucas need to throw a surprise party uh, for the whole school who Caleb like really doesn't care about at all does seem, uh, does seem like she's doing it more for her own benefit than for Caleb's for sure. How do you feel about the idea of surprise parties in general? Oh, I would, I would not like it at all. I, if there's going to be a party, I would, I would rather plan it so that I know what is, like Jenna, I like to know what is going to happen to me. I like to be in charge of it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I 
one time heard somebody say that a surprise party is basically like just a betrayal because <laughs> you're lying to somebody to think that one thing is happening and then you're surprising them with this other thing that's happening and that it's really entirely for the person who's throwing the party, not for the person on the receiving end of the party. And I really think that's true. I feel the same way to a much more extreme degree about surprise proposals. Oh. I think surprise proposal, like surprise public proposals are like the worst thing that one could do to their partner. Um, and yeah, I think surprise parties are pretty bad too. Yeah, I strongly agree. Uh, my mom had a surprise party for my dad one year for his birthday. Um, my parents who like hate each other, but at this time maybe didn't hate each other quite as much. Uh, she had a surprise party for him and his friend uh, who was like the person who was supposed to like take him away somewhere and bring him back uh, had told my dad that they were going to go to a baseball game. They were like going to go get dinner and then go to a baseball game. And instead he brought my dad back to the house for the party and my dad pouted the whole night because he really wanted to go to the baseball game <laughs> so <laughs> that's the risk you run <laughs> exactly exactly uh, uh, don't throw people surprise parties yeah um also i i did like when hannah uh refers to caleb and lucas and their friendship as being like patrick and spongebob uh i am very interested to know is Spencer, Sandy the squirrel, in this SpongeBob situation that she's setting up because she's so smart and capable and clearly a lesbian. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, part of I think I'm realizing like maybe what part of what's weird about this episode, I feel like there's a lot of kind of really short scenes. Um, and so we're just like we're getting through a lot we're trying to like get through a lot of stuff yeah there's like so much like they're like really grinding through a lot of plot here including uh this crisis hotline that emily is going to be trained on in like about 10 minutes yes yes exactly um yeah so emily is in training for the crisis hotline uh she's selected to read a sample call that's a transcript of a call that came in the night before uh, oh, God, the first sign that this is a fly-by-night operation is that they make transcripts of their calls and use those instead of a manufactured training script for training. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Also, the first rule of Crisis Hotline is that both the caller and the worker need to remain anonymous and confidential. Uh, please remember that as the caller in the transcript is saying things like, I almost got caught tonight. I was sent to do something important and I made a mistake. They have it and I can't get it back. All I could do was shut it down. They're never going to forgive me. I might as well be dead. Emily immediately realizes that this is A's accomplice and tries to get info about whether the caller was a man or a woman. The counselor is unimpressed. Yes. Yes. Any sense of beauty. <laughs> um. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. All right. Here we go, everybody. Ezra is sitting in his apartment watching basketball on his couch. Um, I don't even know if I buy that Ezra would watch basketball, but Byron. I love watching basketball. So I'm yeah. offended on basketball's behalf that they have Prezra apparently being a fan. Yeah, yeah, that is totally valid. Byron shows up at his door. He walks in and he starts talking about a party that he and Ella once went to in this building in grad school. 
why to seem cool to relate to Ezra to to really hammer home the age difference between the two of them just because he's caught in some manly nostalgia because his little baby girl is being all sexually active in her you know slutty school clothes I don't know why um but I really do feel like the Byron is old Ezra vibes are very strong here Byron says that he's been thinking a lot he knows how tricky teacher-student relationships can be. He understands about Arya's trauma, but he wants Ezra's manly assurance that this is over. Of course, he won't extend any of this grace and goodwill to his own daughter, but he and Ezra are going to talk man-to-man about, here, about it here. Ezra mentions the job at Hollis, saying that Byron gave him a great gift by offering him that job offer, but Byron gets distracted by the sight of the unmade bed. He snaps, asking if Arya has been here, when, if this is where they have their secret meetings. When Ezra kind of stammers out a reply, Byron says, you are never seeing Arya again, ever, and I will make sure the police see to that. And this is a time when I wish that Byron had, uh, had followed through. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree. Um, also, like, Byron is really offering Ezra a very generous deal here. Uh, if he gives him his word that he understands it was a mistake and he won't see Arya again, uh, then that's it. it he's going to drop it. And I feel like that is actually way too lenient for what Prezra deserves, uh, especially because he's, like, mealy-mouth mumbling here. Like, he knew it was wrong and he needed to end it when he was her teacher. And that's why the job at Hollis was such a gift. Uh, he's really missing the mark here. Uh, this is not a chapter in how to make friends and influence fathers of the minor you're dating. Uh, and man, the way that Byron snaps, like Byron has been like so chummy with him. And then he just snaps at the sight of that unmade bed. Like his head like spins around and he's just like, did you deflower my chaste maiden spa? You must pay me 12 head of cattle as a bride price like he just he he's just over it at that point um but man like freaking presra like oh you know i knew it was wrong and i had to stop like okay so what steps did you take to stop it intention does not outweigh action if you are stabbing someone in the chest and like pause to write a stern note to yourself that in the future you need to <laughs> stop stabbing someone in the chest that is not a mitigating factor yeah yeah it's so true and it's like it's like like byron and ella just get so hung up on the wrong parts of the story you know it's like oh byron like yeah lean into the impulse to call the police like that's a good impulse but it's like but the unmade bed but aria's dress <laughs> but 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 it's like no like yeah it's just it's so it's they're they're so bad at this. Yeah, they're so bad at being. Parents. It's it's rough. It's a rough time. Oh, um, Hannah, a ray of sunshine is wandering through the school hallways when she is accosted by Mona and Noel. Do they have a couple name? Vandercon, Mole, Vol? Well, what do we think? <laughs> Mole. <laughs> um. No, no. <laughs> um, they ask Hannah if their invite to the party is coming by snail mail. Hannah didn't think they'd want to go uh, to a rocking party at Spencer's Lake House. They're in. Hannah's like, it is a surprise party for Caleb, my 
boyfriend with the penis and to which vander jesus is like surprise all is forgiven we are friends now so she and noel are in they are on the guest list i want the spinoff show about mona and noel's relationship because they seem like they are having a really fun time together and i want to know what they talk about do they talk about mike montgomery do they talk about hannah Marin? like I just I want to know everything about their relationship I'm with you I'm with you do they talk about Jenna Allie oh they probably have a lot to talk about with yeah Allie. yeah uh, I yeah I like that a lot um so Emily has broken about I don't know if it's a HIPAA violation <laughs> but it's some kind of violation um she has stolen the crisis hotline uh call log and is sharing it <laughs> with all of the liars um, Spencer, of course, has absolutely no chill about this. She thinks they should all work there and is probably already working on a cover story or outfits for them all. Um, it probably wouldn't be like a candy striper, but maybe they can get some of those Tory Burch boots and, you know, make themselves look like therapists. Um, and of course, it doesn't occur to any of them that this could simply be like a distressed person in peril who has absolutely nothing to do with their lives. Um, Aria, though, she says that she can barely pee without a chaperone. She won't be getting a job at the call center. Um, and before they can kind of get into this too much further, uh, hey, guys, comes the smoky voice of Caleb Rivers in the doorway. He has found a picture of some creepy dolls on the phone. He says that this probably isn't what they were looking for. But Spencer says, oh, actually, this is very helpful. Um, she, she and the liars scurry off, leaving Caleb to talk with Hannah. Caleb wants to know the truth. Hannah tries to deflect, talking about his birthday. Caleb wants her to be honest. The score uh, kind of like goes in between the mystery music and the romance score here as it's like, Caleb asks a question. Hannah kisses him and talks about his birthday. Caleb asks another question. Hannah kisses him again. The music is like giving us whiplash, as are these two characters. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I love, I love that scene with the liars. I love that Hannah is like, Hannah doesn't care about any of the A stuff. Like from this point forward, all she cares about is the surprise party. Um, so she doesn't care about this. Like she doesn't care about Emily stealing this thing from the crisis hotline. Emily like put it on their mirror in the bathroom apparently because Emily was like so worked up about it uh, when she got in. Uh, but yeah, Hannah from this point forward is just not going to be into the mystery for basically the rest of the episode until uh, she's out on the water. You know, Ted Bundy famously worked at a crisis call line in the midst of, like, being a terrible serial killer. I feel like even he had, like, more decorum about how to handle calls than Emily Fields. They freaking hire him here. I mean, this crisis hotline has, like, virtually no training requirements, no personnel requirements, like... Oh my goodness. Um, I feel like, actually, uh, the way that this crisis hotline operates is very much, like... um, it's like a fellow feeling to the way they treat therapy in the show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like things that are out to get you. <laughs> right. Oh. Yeah. It's like, it's like the show really has a vendetta against like talking about your feelings. Just eat some pizza, spend some time with the Montgomery's. You'll be, you'll be, fine. Um, you'll be totally fine. Oh, well, speaking of the Montgomery's. Ooh. Buckle up. <laughs> Because we have a Montgomery shouting match. 
In one corner, Byron, who is aghast that Prezra acted like all men in Rosewood ever and stood there trying to justify his actions. In the other corner, Ella, who says she should have been there. <laughs> Byron refuses to apologize, saying he followed an impulse. To which I say, huh, an impulse that Ella wouldn't be down with his starry-eyed talk of knowing what teacher-student relationships are like. Anyway, Ella needs an aspirin and to know when their family went from a happy holiday card from Europe to this deceitful and dysfunctional mess. She's upset that one of her children is too depressed to go to school and the other is only going in order to date her teacher. Neither of these characterizations is fair. And... If that is a frustration that Ella is feeling that she just needs to say out loud, may I suggest that she do so in therapy and not in her house where Ari and Mike probably can hear her. Anyway, Byron insists that he is going to call the police and Ella dissuades him, saying that they need to protect Arya's reputation, which would be ruined as much as Prezra's. Oh, man. These two. These two. I mean, so Ella, of course, she's doing her patented be upset and overwhelmed about everything while offering commentary and doing nothing routine. Um as 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 really uh, summed up by her, let's take a moment and figure it out, which is her favorite line. Um, she says, you know, we raise her to be independent and open-minded, and we don't get to be shocked if that is who she is, is, if that is now who she is, which I would say, no, I think you raised her to have poor boundaries and communication skills and modeled secrecy and gaslighting as part of quote-unquote healthy relationships. And now you don't get to be shocked if that is how who she is. But this whole reputation thing, it's like, come on, you guys. These are categorically not the same things. Their reputations are not on the same level playing field here. Ezra should be in jail. It should be dealt with. What he did is against the law. Yeah, I mean, apparently Hannah's history test is not the only thing focused in the 1860s. Like, they're acting like this is an issue where, like, well, if she goes out with Rhett in a carriage after dark, she'll be compromised and he'll have no choice but to marry her. Like, this, you know, else neither of them will be received. Like, Jesus Christ, Montgomery's, get it together. Um, like, Ella does make a secondary case of do they want their daughter subjected to more police scrutiny right now? Uh, which, I mean, the police are always after the liars, so... Um, you know, that that is what it is. Uh, but, you know, her basic argument is they need to protect Aria. And so I, I would just like to pause for a second and think about, like, how they could do that. They could hire a lawyer, maybe one of the Hastings. Uh, they could file a complaint with the state to have Prezra's teaching license taken away. Uh, they could actually, at this point, take her phone and look at her text messages to see how long this has been going on. Uh, if they feel like the town or the system is going to turn on Aria, like that's their job to insulate and protect her from those entities, not to sacrifice her to them. Mm -hmm. and, and like, particularly yeah. Ella, by not doing that, she's not only failing Aria, she's failing all the other young female students that Prezra might come into contact with 
through the years if he is not held accountable. Uh, and then they, they go into a way worse line of thinking where Ella says, you know, like you were saying, they raised RA to be independent and open-minded, uh, whatever, whatever. You can say all the things you want about how they raised her. She is still a minor. And I want to burn down the Montgomery house and have Ashley Marin adopt Mike and Aria as the solution to this dilemma. Yeah, well, it's so true what you said. I mean, the conversation about other young women who might potentially be at risk doesn't even factor in. You know, the show is so hellbent, even though our, Ezra will later be revealed to be a serial predator of, uh, of young, young Rosewood High students. The show is so hellbent on having it be this one true star-crossed love. And no, this isn't a pattern of behavior at all. Like, nobody else is at risk. Like, he's not, a, he's not a predator. He's just this man who fell in love. And, like, you can't stop love. It's just this runaway train of emotion. Um, and lost in that is the fact that, like, he, he is a serial predator. Like, obviously, they don't know that at this point. But the fact that that thought doesn't even seem to occur to any of them it's just so ridiculous and so wrongheaded. Yeah, I really feel like uh, if there's any situation where where someone is revealed to be a predator, it's 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 like sexual assault. Like if one person steps forward and makes the accusation, there's a really good chance that there are a lot of other people who've had the same experience with that individual. And who just haven't come forward. Uh, and particularly in Presser's case, we know that. We know he had a relationship with Allison as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. So Ezra, the man himself, is at his desk at Hollis. Hannah arrives. Um, she, she has a sort of um, hilariously oversized cake box in her hand. And for a second, I was like, is she actually bringing this motherfucker a cake? Like, uh, like, sorry, everybody's being so mean. We still love you. Um, but no, she just like stopped by on her way from the cake shop, which is kind of funny. I think this is like the first scene, the first and last scene that Hannah and Ezra ever have. I don't ever remember them interacting before or after this point. Um, but Hannah has just stopped by to say, the rest of us don't feel the same way. We know that two people who love each other this much should be together. And it's like, Hannah, no, stop it. Like, again, Hannah's, Hannah's big forgiving heart, um, it's, it's, it's going a little bit overboard here, I feel. Uh, it's like the town issues you a cake. Like, if you're an adult man who is proved to have had a relationship with an underage girl, like, the town has, like, a special cake that they send in that scenario. <laughs> Yes, yes. A cake for being such a big damn hero. It's called And Eat It Too. Like, that's the name of the bakery. <laughs> and that is what has happened. <laughs> oh, my God. How is that? Yeah, how is that not a thing? I. I... <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Oh. Oh, boy. Um, we're back to the crisis hotline, which is indeed a crisis like the situation <laughs> at this hotline i would like to call some other crisis hotline and report it uh, because here we have spencer and emily hanging out to volunteer uh the counselor the counselor gets a call and holds up a pad saying it's the transcript caller they should listen in and take notes 
God, I hope that this crisis hotline has one heck of a pre-recorded disclaimer on that line. Um, Spencer and Emily listen in and realize the voice belongs to Lucas. Uh, he sounds completely desperate and says there's only one thing left to do. He just hates to do it. Oh, man. And, you know, it's like Lucas is Lucas must have this this crisis line on speed dial. Like this is his lifeline in this episode. He is just calling them at all at all times a day. And consistently uh, this this call center fails him by <laughs> refusing to protect his privacy in any in any real way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this this crisis hotline is just like. I don't know why Lucas keeps calling them because they are really, really bad at their job. Like they don't even really seem to be like, like even when they're talking to him, nobody seems to be saying anything remotely helpful. Uh, but I guess this is just a situation where Lucas just needs to talk to someone. Well, you know, I, I think Emily works at the crisis center for a while after this point. Um, Cause I remember a thing where when with Maya um, but I really like, I feel like the crisis line thing is done so poorly in this episode. And actually, I think it, this is a really would be a really interesting opportunity for a moment kind of like the one that Jenna and Aria got in the pottery class where a character like Lucas or Mona or Jenna or somebody calls the, the crisis line and Emily or Spencer is in a position where they actually basically have to extend empathy to them. And I think that that could have been a really um, great moment of, of uh, a great character moment for, for somebody. Um, but instead, it's just like used as this, um, as this plot device in this episode so that the liars can really, really quickly ramp up their suspicion of Lucas. Um, and it, it just doesn't really work or make much sense to the point where at the end of the episode, I mean, we'll get to this, but like Emily is randomly there at night and randomly ends up on a call with Lucas, who is randomly in Spencer's attic calling the crisis line just to, like, keep them abreast of his, like, latest ideas about his, like, what he's planning on doing. Like, he's like, oh, I'm about to, you know, go out in a boat and murder Hannah. I better call the crisis hotline and, like, let them know what's going on. Wouldn't want to keep those guys out of the loop. And it's just, like, it, it doesn't really make any sense. And it doesn't really seem like anybody is providing him counsel that would be helpful. So the idea that he's consistently calling them, it's its for no other reason than the plot, much like this whole birthday party thing is just to get everybody to the lake house. Okay, so like, like, it, like way, way later on, we're going to find out that he's supposed to be talking about money. He like gambled some right. money. There was his money and Caleb's money and he's lost it. Um, but the, all of the transcripts really make it sound like he lost the phone. He lost Ace's phone. Mm -hmm. He can't get it back. He had to shut it down remotely, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so do you like, do you believe in the money thing? Uh, or do you think that, uh, do, do you think he is talking about the phone? Do you think he's talking about something else because Mona's blackmailing him? What do you think? I mean, that's a good question. I think that I, I think I'm going to wait to answer that question until we get to the reveal about the money because um, I don't really remember the particulars of that that well. You, pro you might have a clear, you probably have a clear 
image of how all of that shakes down. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like it never, it never makes any sense. Um, but no, I think like Lucas is so stressed out about this. Uh, and I, I'm really interested in the idea. Like it does seem like he is helping Mona because Mona slash a is blackmailing him like that. Right. That's what's happening. Um, whatever she's using to blackmail him we don't totally know uh maybe it's that he vandalized allison's memorial and she's threatening to go to the police uh maybe it's that he has been filming hannah and caleb when he's behind the curtain (laughs) maybe it's a lot of things we don't know um maybe it's that he was taking the pictures of hannah and then pretending to take them off of the internet there's a lot of opportunity but i think it's interesting to think about what is mona forcing him to do here uh, is he, I, I don't think he's supposed to kill Hannah. Is he supposed to antagonize Hannah until she knocks him into the water and then pretend to be dead? Is he supposed to break up Hannah and Caleb somehow? Like, what is it that he's being forced to do in this situation? Well, that's an interesting question. I honestly don't think that Mona would have to push very hard on the blackmail with him because I think that Lucas has so much anger directed toward these girls that he would be you know, eager to, eager to, 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 to do stuff to them basically, and to figure out more ways to be like closely involved with them. Um, but in terms of, um, in, yeah, in terms of, in terms of the whole mode or in terms of, um, what his plan is, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, um, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Mona was trying to engineer a way for, um, Hannah to kill Lucas. Mm. Mm, that could definitely be. All right. So Hannah is in her room wrapping up a present for Caleb. I thought this whole party was a present. I don't know what, I mean, she's really going all out for this birthday. Um, while Spencer and Emily tried to convince her that it was Lucas on the phone, Hannah does not want to hear this. She is convinced that it's not Lucas because he's been so kind to her. He's been such a good friend. It could never possibly be him. And it's funny that she's so convinced it isn't him since he's actually one of A's longest standing minions. And they'll they'll do this. They'll have versions of this conversation about many people throughout the course of the series. But in the case of Lucas, they're actually right. Um, Spencer very perceptively says, for all we know, he still sees Allison whenever he looks at us. Very true, Spencer. Um, and, you know... I really do feel like all of these reasonings that they're com- coming up with completely track. Like Lu- it totally makes sense that Lucas would be on the A-team. Hannah wants them to drop it. Um, I Hannah is so convinced of Lucas's innocence. And I think part of it is because for Hannah, Lucas has kind of become a manifestation of all of the ways in which Hannah has changed because Lucas both represents, um, you know, hefty Hannah who was bullied by Allison, but also the ways in which Hannah has become a kinder person because Hannah has become friends with him. And so I feel like she really needs Lucas to remain pure um, and innocent. And she really needs to not be able, much in the same way that she can't see the way that Mona feels about her, she needs to kind of remain in the dark about the way that uh, Lucas feels about her, even to the point of saying here, he do- he's worked through that stuff around Allison. He doesn't feel that way anymore, which is completely not true yeah it's uh it's really interesting because hannah can be so perceptive sometimes but i think that it's actually like 
this weakness of hers goes back to Allison. Like it's in many ways created by Allison, uh, really fostering a lot of low self-esteem in Hannah that she doesn't really understand uh, how Mona feels. And she doesn't really understand how Lucas feels and what she represents to both of them uh, for herself and also for uh, the ways in which she is the new Allison. Right. And I also feel like there's a read of this episode, although I don't think it's intentional, that Hannah is so much throwing herself into planning this party um, because there's some stuff that she doesn't want to look at, including that Lucas, Lucas has really been ramping up the creepy with her in these past couple of episodes. And, um, you know, and it and there's some discomfort, I think, in her relationship with Caleb right now. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like when there's something like and especially because the A stuff is terrifying all the time. Like, so there's always something that Hannah is like, I mean, she's really brave, but like there are some things you just feel like you can't look at head on sometimes. Uh, And so this is really an instance of Hannah going to overdrive, uh, distracting herself with everything else. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, Aria calls her adult man friend who tells her she should not call him anymore but agrees he needed to hear her voice too weasel 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 Um, how I wanted the camera to pull out and reveal police behind him it starts on this close shot of his face and I thought oh man you know even though I knew that wasn't it like there was still this part of me that hoped yeah yeah um or jenna in another room of his apartment perhaps um sharpening her stick (laughs) um speaking of which a black sedan pulls away from toby's house and we like we see that there's this black sedan we see a driver of the sedan who's like this bearded chauffeur uh maybe the third person in the throuple we don't really know possibly eric khan uh, not not known who it is, um, but the black sedan pulls away from Toby's house right as Garrett pulls up. Uh, he is pacing in the street outside his muscle car, angry because he was supposed to be in that car with Jenna going up to Boston. She's turned on him. He complains to Toby. Toby, who is not a sympathetic heir for this. Uh, they go back and forth, and then Garrett gets mad about Toby not having enough sympathy for Jenna. Um, they then talk about Jenna as if she has no free will which is a mistake and also gross Uh, and Garrett declares that he will just keep having to prove his love to her even though she's made it clear she doesn't want to see him right now uh, which is that is language that Toby definitely understands yeah Garrett is just really I mean like his voice is breaking he's pacing like he's really going through it here and this is like one of the weird shots of the kavanaugh house this week where toby (laughs) is like toby is like up on top of the railing sitting on the railing like it's it's a weird weird shot so there's like a lot of garrett talking to like toby's jeans i don't know yeah it almost looks like like toby's like rapunzel up in the tower and garrett's like (laughs) pleading with him um but yeah garrett's almost acting like like jenna's like a drug and he's jonesing or something um but also i would not be surprised if toby somehow ruined a liar plan by being too cocky with garrett here because toby is really pleased with himself as he's kind of like dishing it back to garrett mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i i would ship i would ship garrett and toby after the scene frankly oh yeah yeah that's that i could get into that um 
<laughs> we're just like we're just like shipping all of the men because we don't want to ship them with any of the women. <laughs> like Byron and Ezra, Toby and Garrett, um, Lucas and Caleb, probably. Um, okay, so in the attic of uh, Spencer's Nana's lake house, Spencer and Hannah are looking for tiki torches, which is a funny thing to have lost because like tiki torches are giant and presumably really easy to find. Um, it like about halfway through this scene of the two of them here, I laughed to myself because like I've written a fic where these two make out on the porch of this very lake house. And I <laughs> wish that that's how this episode ended. Um, but Hannah goes downstairs when they hear the doorbell ring to get the food. Spencer pulls some more boxes down. It is super, super dark in this attic. Um, and as she pulls some boxes down, she sees some familiar wallpaper. She realizes that the doll picture that they found on A's phone was taken right here. Um, but before she can really process that too much, she takes a picture herself. But before she can process it, Lucas shows up, sinisterly looking for tools to hang the birthday banner. He circles Spencer, muttering about people storing tools in the attic when Spencer asks why he would think to come up here. And he's just like uber, uber creepy here. Yeah, I, I do agree with you that they got suspicious of Lucas really quickly, that that like grew in the space of just the, the previous like 30 minutes or whatever. But I do have to say that like the building tension of them having correctly identified Lucas, but Hannah not believing them, like that tension is really good here, especially because Lucas's whole thing about tools being in the attic. What is this birthday banner made of? Sheet metal? Like, <laughs> get yourself some duct tape. <laughs> Good lord! This, this birthday banner gets a lot of a lot of play. Like people are talking about it a lot in the like second half of this episode, but we never get to see it, which feels a little bit disappointing. Also, I agree. I think I'm slightly reacting to the fact that this dynamic of some combination of the liars think person person A is guilty, some combination of the liars think person A is innocent person a then proceeds to be menacing but it's not about the thing that all the liars think it's about like we see that dynamic play out so many times as the series goes on that i think i'm just vaguely tired of it but it is effective here mm -hmm. i give it that mm -hmm. uh on the streets of rosewood the montgomery family is on the hunt for dinner Mike is out with Gavin, whose mom is giving him a ride home, and his mental state is good because they were stopping for pizza. Um, Byron is leading his family to, I think it's the grill, but Prezra is eating there. We see him reading a book with a basket of cauliflower and bread in front of him. Byron assists they will eat somewhere else. There are other restaurants. To which I say, there are? <laughs> <laughs> he he also yells at Arya like she's a dog to get her to leave. Like he's because Arya and Ezra are staring at each other through the window, and he's like, Arya, Arya, come on, come here, girl, come, here. come on, Arya, come on. Yeah, yeah, they are the worst this episode. Just consistently, consistently the worst. Also. Um, I, I feel like, uh, you know, maybe they're trying to show us that Prezra is at sea without Arya being in his life because uh, without her, he is sitting around in his stocking feet watching basketball and also eating this cauliflower bread basket here at the grill. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Back at the worst call center on earth, <laughs> Emily shows up to return the page she accidentally stole 
um, this one, the one woman who runs this call center is here alone. And she starts to ask Emily a question. We never find out what the question that she was going to ask is. I, I was guessing that it was something to the effect of, did you on purpose steal that call <laughs> sheet? Um, but before she can get through it, a call, she, she the, the phone rings, she takes the call and then another phone rings and she just gives Emily a sort of, a sort of like shrugging, like, well, would you mind making that? Like, like she, you know, like she's asking if Emily would mind, you know, like picking up a loaf of bread from the store. Not like if Emily would mind, you know, talking a person out of committing suicide that night or something. Just a little, you know, light phone chat for this teenage girl who has gone through one day of training. Um, of course, it is Lucas on the other line who is preposterously still in the Hastings Lake House attic and has called the call center to let them know that he feels really bad about the fact that he has to go through with this plan, but he has to take care of it tonight. It's going to be very hard to lose her forever, but he wanted to make sure that the call center knew that he's about to maybe murder Hannah Marin. Also, <clears throat> for all of the places in Rosewood where where you just like for whatever fucking reason have no cell service, <laughs> props to the Hastings attic near the lake for having such good service that Lucas can call the awful hotline, and and it's so it's so good the connection is so clear that Emily can hear Hannah in the background calling out to him. <laughs> from the floor below lucas should like just be the verizon guy asking if you can hear him now because like the liars are like they, they couldn't get service like in the center of town from that the the creepy haunted house from one room to the hallway <laughs> but they're in the attic man clear as a bell clear as day this is this is this is really a lot though that he's that he's calling at this moment right here and emily doesn't even say anything first she lies and says that she was the same person he talked to earlier which you know i'm sure happens at the call center all the time um and then she doesn't say anything when he um when he says you know he's gonna have to say goodbye to her forever yeah i don't know i kind of think lucas is calling this hotline expecting the girlfriend experience basically <laughs> that's what or maybe he's just expecting like he's just waiting he's like he knows that the liars work there and he's like isn't somebody gonna say that it's me isn't somebody gonna call it out i really don't want to do this <laughs> oh my goodness um oh, okay so Byron uh, has determined that he will let his family starve before he gives Prezra the satisfaction of being in the same room as him ever again. Uh, Ella's like, what are we supposed to do for a bowl of pasta? Go to Delaware? And uh, Byron says that if she'd let him go to the police, they could eat anywhere they want. Ella doesn't want to have this fight out here in the street. Just then, they run into an old friend. We've never heard of before named ron and his son holden there's some chat about holden teaching aria to ride a bike by breaking her training wheels that's so rosewood and an invitation for ron to come over next weekend and cook dinner byron keeps clapping holden on the back eager to pimp out his daughter to someone her own age 
Yes. Yeah. They're, they're planning on, on, on playing a little matchmaker matchmaker here. Um, but also like our head canon is that Holden is gay, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think they would do much better trying to set Holden up with Mike. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's a fic I want to read. I'm going to write that fic. <laughs> oh my God. Like a whole, like a thing where I'm, I'm, I'm writing it. In- <laughs> like a thing. <laughs> like a like a thing where like Holden keeps coming over to be like the cover story for Arya, but like Arya like doesn't have time for him and is like, oh, just like go hang out in Mike's room or something. And so he like goes across the hall to Mike's room and they like start talking. Up, oh, I'm into this. I'm into this, guys. Yeah. I um, <laughs> well, also, um, I really have a lot of feelings about the writers being so. Um, you know, so eager to go to what I'm going to call their anvil drawer uh, by having Arya's love interests. One of them is named Fitzgerald and one of them is named Holden. I don't know if we ever know his last name. I presume it's Caulfield. Like, <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> so, yeah, not, yeah. not so subtle. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. That's very, very true um okay so it is party time there is a lot of loud music playing lots of food um hannah is like passing around uh apps and and i guess teenagers probably don't call it apps passing around like chips and dips and such um there's lots of people here at the lake house hannah is in a very weirdly like subdued sweater like wide turtleneck sweater situation that seemed like an odd choice for her um, and Spencer is following her all around, trying to get her to look at the picture of the wallpaper. Mona and Noel, meanwhile, are very concerned about Hannah's pizza ordering because she ordered a pizza that Noel is allergic to. Um, Noel offers to hang the banner, which I love because everybody's very concerned about this banner getting hung up properly. Um, and Spencer is continuing to like follow Hannah around. This might be a secret headquarters, she posits. Um, Yes, and, and this party, at this point, seems to be going relatively well, despite Hannah not being willing to hear Spencer out. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, I feel like Hannah should have made a bigger note about Noel being allergic to green peppers. If she had their season seven interactions where she's trying to kidnap him and, like, very obviously doctors a pint of beer, like, she could have just secretly fed him a green pepper and then he would have been incapacitated and the whole thing would have been much easier for her. Um, So it's too bad she doesn't make a note of that. I also love Noel being out here at the lake house because there is that later scene uh, in, in future seasons where Spencer goes to the lake house and he's hiding under the furniture coverings. So I kind of feel like maybe he's just been hiding under the furniture coverings like since this night, since this party that we see him at this evening. Yeah, well, I kind of like the idea that the cons and the Hastings, like their families go way back in some way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. To me. Uh, but we then, so the next thing that happens is uh, Hannah's refusing to look at the wallpaper. Lucas shiftily looks at the birthday cake, uh, which has frosted lettering that declares best birthday ever. Happy birthday, Caleb H. Who signs a birthday cake? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I Hannah, she's Hannah wants she's really adapt, adopting like Mona's, you know, dash A, uh, you know, sign off. But anyway, Lucas 
is sweating up a storm. He looks really <laughs> unappealingly clammy. Uh, Emily walks in and uh, he asks if she just got there and makes some small talk about the cake. Emily has no chill and immediately starts talking about Hannah goes all out for people she loves. When you're her friend, she forgives a lot. And please don't do anything you'll regret, Lucas. And then Lucas realizes she must have been the hotline answering person. Uh, she then runs away, uh, to which I say, good Lord, here's another PSA from us. Helplines are good, really. (laughs) You are very unlikely to be accosted by a helpline volunteer at a social gathering regarding your recent call. Exactly, exactly. I also want to give Emily a queer look alert alert shout out for her leather on denim ensemble Mm. in this scene. Mm. In this scene. Um, But Spencer is so desperate for somebody to join her in, in the attack um, and Emily is, you know, she'll, she'll match Spencer's energy. She's pretty freaked out by Lucas at this point. Um, suddenly Hannah is missing. Like Hannah has, Hannah has like left the building. Um, Mona does this fabulous Paige McCullers-esque swivel around when Spencer and Hannah corner her to ask where Hannah is. Mona announces that Lucas and Hannah are, are um, out on the boat distributing the fireworks Jesus, Hannah really went all out on this party. My God. Um, and once again, Mona is delighting and tormenting them in her Mona face and her A face because you know she had a hand in setting up this situation with Hannah and Lucas. Um, Mona says, did they need per- a permission slip to go out on the lake together? I feel like the only scene thing this scene is missing, the only thing missing from this scene is Mona saying something like, Em, you look tense. Maybe Lucas could give you a massage. He's really good with his hands. (laughs) Oh, oh, yes. And then we get Spencer and Emily, like, rushing to the window and just watching helplessly as Lucas rows Hannah into the creepy-looking fog on the creepy-looking lake. (laughs) Yeah, we're of the opera and they're like rowing in a in a gondola um in the in the fog like what how did we get here yeah i i love mona in that scene she's so good you can just tell like in in her face like everything that it's doing for her to have Spencer and Emily needing her for this information and for this to be like a moment that she is like crafted so thoroughly like oh you just she's getting a lot out of this yeah and that it has to do with Hannah that they're asking her for information about Hannah she knows more about Hannah than they do such as where she is And she and Noel, like, it's a really good night for Mona because, like, all of this happens and then she and Noel are going to go have sex in the lake. And it's like, (laughs) you know. I mean, she's already wet. Let's let's put it that way. It's just, she she probably just, like, grabbed Noel after that interaction and was like, this needs to happen right now. Now. Oh, man. Okay, so rowing out across the depths of Loch Ness possibly full of inferiai uh lucas rose in silence this is the creepiest boat ride this side of willy wonka Uh, (laughs) hannah just now realizes that they are running late maybe they should just hang the banner like all the stuff about the banner and forget about the fireworks uh lucas stops rowing hannah asks what's wrong 
If his arms are tired, she can row. Uh, he orders her to sit down. She begs him to turn the boat around. They can just go back. She's getting really cold. Uh, you can hear Spencer and Emily calling her name from the shore. And Lucas kind of harshly tells her not to answer them. Uh, she again asks him to turn the boat around. This particular scene does possibly the best job of building tension uh, in terms of Hannah's situation of being alone with him really does seem more and more dire. Uh, she's worried about Caleb maybe already being there. Uh, she says they can forget the fireworks. Lucas gets really agitated and yells at her that this is hard enough as it is and it's not about the fucking fireworks. And when he stands up, I think he stands up to throw the fireworks overboard, uh, but he approaches Hannah in anger and she just knocks his ass overboard with one of the oars. Uh, and then she just slips it back into the rowlock and propels herself back to shore. Uh, she's halfway there when something grabs one of the oars. Oh, yes. Uh, very, very spooky. Why Lucas needed to throw the fireworks overboard, I don't know. For dramatic effect, I suppose. Yeah, or, like, I don't know what was going on there. Like, if there was supposed to be something else that was in that box. Um, but if Lucas, if Lucas's instruction was really that he was supposed to attack Hannah, that's just like Lucas to yell at her for not making it easy on him. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Why can't you just be a helpless girl? In my mind, you're always so helpless. Oh, Back at the Montgomery house, Arya leaves a message for Ezra. Arya really just lives in her own little world because she says, I think that my mom might be coming around. Oh, Arya. Um, she, so she says, you know, to please be patient. Ella comes in and Arya quickly gets off the phone um, saying that Holden's family has been invited over for dinner on Sunday. Arya lies and says that she was on the phone with Holden, using that as a bargaining chip to get out of being grounded. Um, Aria looks on menacingly as the music starts to play because Ella says that maybe, you know, she could talk to Byron and they might be able to, to lift, to lift, uh, to lift the grounding if, uh, if Aria and Holden want to go out and go to a movie or something. Aria is like the diabolical mastermind of this whole situation. Uh, this really felt like it could have been an Aria is a moment as we sort of cross cut to the water shimmering on her glare well okay okay but i mean it is not hard to outsmart the montgomery's like they are so Fair. transparent in, in their desire to hook her up with holden uh that i feel like she she is being opportunistic here but who can resist like they're being terrible uh they obviously want to pimp her off to him uh so she's just kind of she's just kind of going with the flow um we cut back to the party where Spencer and Emily are still freaking out on the shore. Hannah's boat has capsized and she's in the water. Uh, Emily runs off to call the police while Spencer screams Hannah's name with increasing desperation from the shore. Emily, as the strongest swimmer on scene, should probably stay on the shore in case a water rescue is needed. But we can only assume that Spencer gets to stay because she's in love with Hannah and that Emily is not in top form right now, having recently had glass in her hair. <laughs> the next time that we see them uh spencer is like there's a crowd of onlookers that are gathering around uh they're muttering about a couple being missing hannah's head comes into view she's swimming back to shore 
Spencer wades in to pull her out and yells for someone to get a blanket. Uh, there's chatter about Lucas still being out there. And then the capsized boat floats in like a ghost ship. Uh, Mona and Noel, soaking wet, ask what's going on. They've just been off taking a dip. Nice night for it, Noel says. Uh, Caleb then runs up and asks what's going on. Hannah, wet through and shivering, weakly says, surprise. Oh, man. Yeah, there are a lot of Spana cuddles here. Like, Spencer is wrapped around Hannah. Um, yeah, this is a weird ending to this episode. Like, it kind of ends on a weird, like, discordant comedy note with Hannah saying surprise. Like, and it almost feels like we're going to end the episode not knowing if Hannah gets out of the water or not. And then we finally do with the last second. Like it's, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little off, but um, yeah. So Hannah, Hannah has survived the water, but where is Lucas? We don't know. We cut to the A tag and Lucas's shoe is floating in the water, but an oar held by a scoops it up. Uh, do we think that there is a chance uh, based on what Lucas was saying, do we think that Lucas may have been pushed to the breaking point here and that Lucas was actually trying to engineer uh, a situation where Hannah was going to kill him? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I could totally see that. I could totally see that. I could also see Mona trying to engineer a situation where... Um, where Hannah would kill Lucas because I actually think in some ways Mona has a number of motives to want Lucas dead. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have a lot of similarities as we've spent a lot of time talking about. And I mean, as much as Lucas could be a helpful minion, he also could really get in her way and could, you know, potentially figure her out. And I could see Mona. Um, I mean, it would be too much to get Caleb killed because that would, that would, um, that might destroy Hannah past the point where she would be sort of salvageable for Mona in a sense, but Lucas dying in some ways would make Mona's life a lot easier. What do you think? Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that's very possible. Also, if it was Lucas in the greenhouse, Lucas made a big mistake with the cell phone. So I think that this uh, situation that Mona is putting him in where he's going to have to go overboard uh, is really a, it's really putting him in a situation where he might live or he might die at the whim of a, like whether or not he's mm-hmm. going to get out of the water. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that Lucas is a very unstable character in a lot of ways. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's always kind of teetering on the edge. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because uh, Mona, like the situation that's been set up here is that Hannah is so unwilling to believe that Lucas could be involved with any of this Uh, And so that's like a preview of how devastated she's going to be when she finds out that Mona is A at the end of 2B. Um, You know, when she basically kind of becomes a little catatonic saying like, it was Mona, it was Mona. Like she can't, you know, Mm -hmm. she can't get her head around it. Uh, So that's interesting. And also the fact that like Hannah has been in such denial uh, about who Lucas is. Like when Spencer says he might look at all of us and still see Allison. And Hannah's like, no, no, that's not what's happening. But there is a part of Hannah when they're out there on the boat, like he just gets up and he's shouting and he grabs that box. And like Hannah does not have hesitation there. Like in that moment, Hannah is not rationalizing his behavior. She's not justifying it. Like in that moment, 
it is clear that Hannah knows that this anger is inside of Lucas all the time. Hannah knows what Hannah means. Yeah. 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 It's true. It's true. Um, And it's almost like her, all of her defenses of him fall and she just has to live with who he's being in this moment. And also like probably, I think, you know, we talked about this. Hannah's a very intuitive character. And I think in this moment, she, she has to kind of, she's almost forced to trust her intuition that I think she's been kind of ignoring up until this point. Um, And I'm sure that we'll talk a lot. I mean, we've already talked a lot about Lucas. I know that we'll talk about him a lot more as the series goes on. I think that Lucas is a really interesting, interesting case when we're talking about the different men of PLL in terms of the way that um, I think, I think he's actually very similar to Ezra in that I think he's a character who is, very dangerous to women and very um, potentially, you know, violent and abusive in many different ways and consistently sort of gets a pass and consistently the narrative kind of asks us to side with him. It's like, it's like there's an acknowledgement like, oh, his behavior's creepy, but like, he's also just like sweet dear Lucas, you know, like it's all fine. And we'll get into that more, I'm sure, as we go on. But I, I find that I find it interesting that Hannah, I feel like, is speaking about him here in the way that the show will ultimately ask us to react to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Watching, yeah. watching Lucas in these early seasons makes me feel like, I mean, most, mostly when we go through the show, I feel like uh, Ezra would have been the best A, like to, to have that stick that it was him. Uh, but I feel like um watching these early seasons it makes me feel how satisfying lucas also would have been uh as a as a conclusion in season seven because i feel like his motives are tied to allison his motives are tied to hannah his motives are tied to this like rage that he has towards Mm -hmm. like women and women who have more power than he does and women who he perceives like owe him something socially or sexually uh, so I feel like Lucas would have been a, a really satisfying later season's conclusion also. Oh, I totally agree. And I think when you contrast him with Mona, it's like somebody who has all of this pent up desire, but also is afforded many more societal privileges, this white man, he becomes that much more dangerous. Yeah, yeah, I I would definitely agree with that for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, my goodness, we will have lots more to say about Lucas. This is almost like this weird kind of like two-parter, I feel like, between this episode and the next one in the, like, right at the beginning of the season. It's kind of strange. Uh, But the next episode, Let the Water Hold Me Down, we'll find out, does Lucas come, because Lucas is missing for a while, right? Um, Like, they think he's dead or... I, I don't know. I think that Caleb pretty quickly knows that he's still alive, but I don't think we see Lucas again uh, for for a little bit. Like, he doesn't appear physically. But we, like, we maybe hear that he's okay, but he's, like, staying with some people out of town or something. Yeah, he, he kind of gets Jason De Laurentiis in terms of, like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's fine. He's just, like, nobody's heard from him in a while. But he's not dead, but he's, you know, it's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, but yes, if you have thoughts on this episode, if you have thoughts on the Montgomery's, oh, sorry. Do you have, do you have things that you want them to have thoughts on? No, I mean, you could, there are so many things. If you have thoughts on the crisis hotline, uh, you know, maybe a best practices manual that they could adopt of some kind. 
if you if you have fix in mind about Holden and Mike or Noel and Mike or Noel and Mona and Allison or Noel and Mona and Jenna, <laughs> we would love to hear your ideas. Uh, yeah, if you have theories about where Jenna is when she's constantly like just off screen the last two episodes, uh, we would love to know what she's up to as well. Well, also what's funny about that is that the episode in season four, I think it is that um, very much parallels this with the with Paige's aunt's lake house. Jenna is in that episode and almost drowns, but Tam and Sursuk was very pregnant when they filmed that episode. And so there's a lot of like weird shots of like Jenna body double or like Jenna like holding something over her or like somebody standing in front of Jenna. So I feel like it's like this weird like Jenna evasion in both of those episodes. Uh, oh yeah. And if you have thoughts about whether fire or water or animals are most dangerous to the liars, uh, please weigh in. That is an important, uh, an important thing to know as we navigate this universe absolutely yes bringing it back to the beginning uh you can send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com you can also uh check out our instagram at everybodyapodcast rate and review us on itunes um yeah we will be back with let the water hold me down till then